0: We're back in the back half of this series called Elements, and we are looking at certain character traits that are elemental or basic to the Christian faith. And to look at these elements, we're going through a list that the Apostle Paul gives us in the book of Galatians called the Fruit of the Spirit. And this list is a tremendously important list that shows Christians what our lives should look like. Emphasis on the should. And I am excited, though, that we are taking time to walk through these fruit one by one because there are certain parts of the Bible that, as Christians, we hear them over and over and over and over and over again until they kind of lose meaning to us because they're just, they they go in one ear and out the other. If you've ever had that thing where you've said a word so many times, it starts, it stops. You know, meaning anything. You know, you could say "bowl, bowl, bowl," and after you say the word "bowl" like 80 times, it just sounds like you're speaking an alien language, even though you're saying a word that you've said a hundred million times. And so, th- I think sometimes that happens with Scripture. We just hear it so many times that we forget that it's incredibly meaningful to us. And so, what we're gonna do. We're gonna keep going through this le- this series of uh, fruit of the Spirit, one at a time, and um. I want us to know the fruit and actually have some of it in our lives, and so uh, because I want us to know it and to be able to say it out loud, we are going to read aloud together like we have every week of this series, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. You don't have to look it up because we're going to look it on the screen. In fact, I would prefer it if you don't have your Bibles out. That is something I don't ever say, but that would be cheating for this instance because as we've gone through this series, I want it to make it a little harder every week, and so I've started adding blanks into this. So I want us to be able to to say Ephesians or sorry, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, 22 and twenty-three. I want us to say them together to see if um, we know them. All right. Did, I, did that work on my? Was, did I do that? Woo! All right. Say, but the fruit of the spirit is ready. Love. Joy. Ooh, that's sounding good right there. Maybe we'll do it without verses in the last week. That's, that's pretty good. You guys did great. So we're starting to get familiar with this list, and hopefully as we go through each and every one of these, we will um, be uh, more aware of what each and every one of these elements means for our lives as Christians. So there's the full list. If you um, maybe didn't know that or it's your first time with us, don't feel bad. We've been working on that for like six weeks now. Uh, so here's the real list behind me, hopefully. Yeah, all right. We're really doing good this morning. Thank you, technology. And so, um, the fruit we're going to discuss today, though, is the fruit of goodness. Now, first off, what we got to be clear on is what we mean when we say goodness, or the word good, because we use good in different ways. And believe it or not, the Bible uses the word good in different ways. Sometimes we use the word good um, just kind of like to say something is generally positive. Like, how are you today? Good. Like, it's good. I'm doing good. Things are generally, generally going well. Or, you know, good can mean they're going okay, because I'm, how you doing? Good. Not great. I'm just good. I'm Which is better than poor or fair, but, but I'm still in the middle. I'm just doing good. So it's just, it's basically a term that we often use for something that is generally positive. And you will find that at times in the New Testament. It'll talk about giving good gifts or something like that. So it means that that, that term can be used in the same way we often use it every day in the New Testament. But the other way we use good and the way it shows up many, many times throughout the New Testament is in the sense of morality, something that is morally good and not morally evil. And this is a really tricky concept to wade through. So tricky, in fact, that when I came into church this morning, at around six o'clock, I rewrote the second half of my sermon because I just thought it was too fuzzy as we came to navigate through this topic. So it's, and I rewrote it last night before that, and it's just such a tricky thing to navigate through. But it's so perfect now, so worry not. We're gonna navigate through the rest of this time. I, I I really nailed it this morning, more so than last night. And so, but the reason why we struggle with this idea of morally good is because Our world is a mix of good and bad, and rarely do you just have something that is all good or something that is all bad. Most of the time, good and evil are kind of intermixed in our world in some sort of weird tie-dye way where they're so close together and so intermixed that it's hard sometimes to even tell them apart. Um, But we are familiar with the idea of good and evil. For instance, uh, you watch almost any movie, and you can quickly figure out who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. In the old westerns, uh, what color hat did the good guys wear? And what color hat did the bad guys wear? Exactly, right? That's the way it works. Another very famous uh, one that that everyone should be hopefully somewhat familiar with, if this works, Star Wars. Okay? How many of you went and saw the new Star Wars movie? Yeah, good for you. Um, How many of you don't care? I'm sorry, this little bit is not going to be for you. I apologize. Okay? But almost, even if you've never seen Star Wars, you can probably tell me who these two characters are. We have Han Solo and we have Darth Vader. Now, everybody knows that Han Solo is a good guy, right? Everybody knows that, and everybody knows that Darth Vader is a bad guy, and when you watch Star Wars, even the music for Darth Vader comes on, and it just feels evil, right? And and Han Solo, he's always just kind of this swashbuckling, uh, kind of rough-around-the-edges hero guy that every girl, when you were back in the 70s and you went and saw Star Wars, you thought, oh my, Harrison Ford is so dreamy, and some of you went and saw the new one, and you still thought, man, he's 70, but he got it still, so that's how you felt, okay? But but you still know he's the good guy and he's the bad guy. But here's the thing. One of these two was a smuggler of illegal goods, a thief, and one of them was a murderer, the good guy. And one of them was the one who ultimately put an end to the reign of the evil emperor and became the ultimate hero of the Star Wars story right so, how, so you think good and evil and we watch it we see that white line clear cut he's the good guy white hat he's the, the bad guy black hat but then when you start looking at it it's not always so clear cut and that's my point is that sometimes good and evil they're not so easy to identify because they often come side by side now before I get lost in a nerdy downward spiral for the rest of our time here this morning let's get back here the point is again that things get muddy when you talk about morality Because we don't always agree on morality. And we don't all have the same standard by which we're looking at the world and judging things good and evil. And as much as I would like to think that the world is black and white, a lot of times we end up in a world that's a mixture, a world that's very, very gray. And we want to call things good and bad. We want to walk into our world and quickly identify what is good and bad. But because things are mixed and sometimes gray, sometimes we are calling things good that are not fully good. And sometimes we are calling things bad that are not fully bad. Because there's mixes in all of it. And so, um, you know, I think for us, though, that tendency is to look at the people in our lives, most of the people that we associate with, and we use this phrase all the time, they're a good person. I mean, don't you feel that way? Like most of your family members are a good person. The people that you associate with, your friends, they're good people. Okay? And you, you know, I mean, you know that they've got those habits and things that just aren't great. You know that, those times where you really don't want to be around them. That, to, that topic that you don't want to bring up at Christmas because they're just going to go off the rails about it. But overall, you know that most of them is good, and so therefore you say they're a good person. And so what we do is because someone is mostly good, we just kind of round up and call them all good. Um, I don't. It's it's rough to put like percentage numbers on these, but let's say let's do it. Let's say someone that you most of the people in your life, most of the people you encounter are are on average 95% good and 5% bad, 5% evil in them. And we just kind of, like I said, we round up, 95 is pretty close to 100, so we just round up and say they're a good person. But the problem is, when you use the word good, in the New Testament, it is a word that is an extreme term most of the time, and it is referring to things that are 100% good. And so speaking in terms of scripture and the way Jesus often uses the word good, when you say they're a good person, even if they're 95% good, calling them good is not accurate because good means all good, 100%, perfectly, wholly good. In fact, Jesus even kind of gets on to a guy for uh, using the word good a little too loosely in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 and 17. It says, just then, and there's a big long story here, but I'm just going to grab this first part because it's very important. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. You see, this guy's saying, what good works, what good things must I do, what hoops must I jump through? And Jesus quickly busts him out and says, the, word ter- the term good only applies to things that are holy, completely, 100% good, with no trace of bad. And he says, and the only thing that that can possibly apply to, the only one that that term good could possibly apply to is God himself. Because he is the only one who is completely good with no trace of evil in him. And so as much as we want to say that person, the people in our lives, they're good people, that's not exactly accurate I mean let's say for a potluck and don't fear we're not going to do this at the next potluck But let's say at a potluck I made a big thing of tea and it was 95% tea and then the last 5% I was a little short so I just topped it off with toilet water you would feel betrayed if the sign I put on that just said tea wouldn't it like don't you feel that last 5% what's in there it's a very important little asterisk that needs to be made known right we really need to know that there's toilet water in that tea, okay? It needs to be called out, it needs to be distinguished. In the same way, those of us who are mostly good people, mostly upstanding, mostly law-abiding citizens, but yet there are those tendencies, those things in us that we are not proud of, those things that we know deep down are evil, those things, we cannot glaze over those and pretend that they do not exist just because we overall want to be good people. And so ultimately, our standard of good It's not the people we encounter. It's not the people that are mostly good. If we're going to use the term good and we're going to talk about goodness, we must first understand that morally speaking, our standard of goodness is God himself. Our standard of goodness is the perfection of our heavenly father. And that is where we start when we come to discern and to judge what is good and what is evil. What is good and what is bad? What is right and what is wrong? And When you start doing that, when we try to do that, regular everyday people, who have lives and jobs, and we don't spend every day in church listening to sermons and reading the Bible. We're going to go out into a world that is this weird mix of good and evil, that is this weird mix of good and bad, and some people that you'll encounter, one minute there'll be a joy, and next minute there'll be a terror, and some situations feel good, and they turn out to kind of smack you in the face a few days later, and you thought it was such a good thing, and now it's a bad thing, and this life is such a complex mix of good and evil. Because of that, you and I will oftentimes have a very difficult time discerning what is good and what is bad. Our judgment will not be right. You, and, and There are so many times when you think something is good, and it is not. It is bad. There are times when you think something is bad, and yet it is good. One of the best examples of this is when you look out into our political landscape. Okay, Let's take a really hot button issue in our culture, and just before I wade into this, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just going to talk about the issue. I could talk about this another time in a sermon, but I'm not. I just want to glaze it and get everybody mad about it and then move on. Um, But let's talk about the topic of abortion. What's interesting about the topic of abortion is just looking at at our country, just watching the news, you can see that there are people on both sides of the issue who think and they are very passionate about the fact that they are right. And they wholeheartedly believe that the people on the other side of it are completely wrong. And in fact, it's often a very moral argument. They see the people on the other side as evil and wrong and trying to hold back the, the freedom of life that is in humanity or the freedom of women's rights on one's respect. And so there's people on both sides who believe they are totally working for good. And they believe the people on the other side of the argument are working for evil. At the same time, you have two groups of people looking at the same issue and seeing good and and evil very, very differently. That is a perfect example of how we go through life. We are terrible judges, oftentimes, at what is good and what is evil. We cannot always accurately decide where we land on things like that. And so, because our world's a weird mix, you and I aren't gonna be very good at this. Another reason why we're not gonna be very good at this is because just like we want to be determined that the people in our lives, our family members, and the people we love are good people, even more so, we want to be determined that we are good people. And so what we will do is we will look at our 95% of good and we'll excuse away that, not, that 5% of bad because we wanna say, I'm a good person, I'm okay, I'm not bad at all, I'm not evil, I'm not wrong, I'm, I'm legitimately, genuinely a good human being. And we excuse away the, the stuff that maybe is a little less savory, a little less pleasant. And so I've, I've seen people go through hoops of arguments, bend over backwards in an argument, trying to explain to me how they're a good person. Just last week, I was on the phone with a guy who is stuck in the grips of an addiction. And because of his addiction, he has become a parasite on his family. He is such a, a hang-up and a problem and a burden to his family. And he's telling me all this, and then he spends the better part of an hour trying to explain to me why he's a good person. And I'm not saying he's a horrible person because he's an advocate or anything like that, but I just it's it's interesting who's somebody who just listed out all the things that they're, why their addiction is, is ruining their life. And then try to tell me that they're a good person. And we do the same things because we are so we are so set on the fact that we want to be good people. We don't want to be bad people. We don't want to be black hat wearing bad guys. We want to be the white hat wearing heroes who go out into the world and do good. We don't want to be on the bad team. And we are so convinced that we are good that we will gloss over the sins in our own life, the problems in our own life in order to convince ourselves and lie to ourselves and tell ourselves that we are good. And so we've... First, got to step back and understand that because we live in a world that's a mix of good and evil, and because we ourselves are a mix of good and evil, oftentimes we will not be able to accurately determine what is right, what is wrong, and where goodness and where evil lie. Where's the line between the two? As much as we want to call everything black and everything white, oftentimes, and even ourselves, fall into the gray. So, we have got to do something to help us figure out the difference in good and evil, because naturally we we just stink at it. And so the problem with our inability to figure out good and evil is that God intended for us to be instruments of good in this world. God created his church, a gathering of people, to be a people of purpose and meaning, to go out into the world and do good, to treat each other with regular treatments of goodness and care and love and all the things that we understand as morally right and good. God intended for us, his church, to be a powerful force of good in this world. Well, how can we be a powerful force of good if we don't always understand what good actually is? And so we need some help from God himself. And luckily, that will come to us um, because God is the only h- source of good that is 100% good all the time, and he is the standard by which we must judge ourselves and line ourselves up. And so believe, for believers, for those of us who are in Christ, our hope of ever being able to see good from bad comes in the Holy Spirit. And the way this works is that when we become Christians, our old, sinful life is taken away by Jesus He died on the cross to pay the the, the penalty for our sin, because any crime deserves a penalty. He pays the penalty for our sin. And we take from Jesus the righteousness that he has lived his whole life with. He takes our sin, we get his righteousness, and we get a new life of righteousness to walk in each and every day and a chance to hopefully live a better life. And then Jesus sends us his spirit. We call it the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you grew up in a church where they called it the Holy Ghost. And, that, and God's spirit lives inside of us and gives us the strength to do better, to be better, to actually live a life for good. This is why in this list we call goodness a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that, we, that grows in our life with the help of the Spirit, not something that we can manifest on our own. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, it can help us, grow us, transform us so that we can live a better life. In Romans chapter 12, Romans 12 verse 2, and many of you have heard of this, maybe even do have a coffee cup or a t-shirt with this on there. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world because the pattern of this world is a mix. Sometimes things are good, sometimes things are evil, and it's really hard to figure out where the lines are drawn. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice it doesn't say transform yourself. It says be transformed. That's the work of God in you through the Holy Spirit, and we must be willing to let God reshape us in a way that is different from what we've known in the past. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so with God's help, we can one day get better at discerning what is good and what is evil. We need God's help to transform the way we think, the way we look at the world. Because on our own, we don't always do so great at it. And so, once God starts to transform our minds, he helps us see more clearly, and we can see the goodness and know that it is goodness, and we can see evil and know that it is evil. And the Holy Spirit not only helps us uh, to discern evil, but he transforms our hearts and our minds uh, so that we want to do that good good stuff. Because honestly, do you always want to do good? No. There are moments in your life where you know what you're about to do is bad, and you do it anyway. Sometimes we make plans to do things that are bad. There are people who put calendar events in their calendar to do bad things. We know that we want, at times, to do things that are not right, things that are not evil, okay? Or things that are evil, excuse me. And so there are moments when we don't always do what we hope to do. Um, You know, I think of before I became a Christian, The only lens I could see the world at was what's going to be best for Anthony Bliss. I didn't have any other lens. I mean, my parents, again, taught me to be genuinely or generally a good person, you know. I didn't steal. I didn't do a lot of bad things, too many bad things in high school. But that was mainly because I was scared of my mom. It wasn't because I wanted to be good. My mom just scared the bejeebers out of me when I was a freshman, and I thought, I don't want to cross that lady, okay, which... You know, I don't know if that's the best parenting tactic, but by golly, it worked, okay? And, uh, and so, you know, but, but really the main lens, okay, when I made decisions, it was like, what's best for me? And that caused me to be incredibly two-faced. Because when I was at home, I could be pleasant, I could be nice. When I was around my mom's friends, I could be really good and nice. And, oh, what a nice young man, you know? And they could think everything was good and that I had everything uh, kind of sorted out. But then when I went to school and I was around friends, it was a lot easier for me to be a jerk, because I could, I could make fun of somebody and make my friends laugh. I was like, oh, okay. And my friends would think I was funny and they thought I was cool. And I, I, you notice I talk fast. It's because sometimes my brain is too fast for a good filter to figure out what doesn't need to come out of my mouth. And so when in high school, I just didn't have to use that filter. If I saw somebody, I had this gift to pick out the thing that they were probably most insecure about in the world and call it out in a room full of people. And my friends would laugh and I would tear them down to build myself up because that's what was good for Anthony Bliss. That's what was good for me. And then I became a Christian. And by God's grace, he's transformed me so that I don't want to be that person anymore. He's transformed me so that the lens I look at the world at is not what's good for me, but rather what is good in the eyes of God, and what is pleasant and pleasing in the eyes of God. And God has helped me live with a motivation to walk into this world and do good. And where I once used my words to tear people down, God has, by his amazing grace, has allowed me to be transformed so that I can use my words every single week to hopefully build people up for the cause of Christ. That is the power of the Holy Spirit in you. It can totally change your life, totally change how you see, and totally change how you are able to live. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, he talks about what we are saved to. Uh, Sometimes we only talk about what we're saved from. We're saved from sin, we're saved from hell, we're saved from the consequences of our bad actions. But sometimes we forget that we are saved to something better. Just like God saved me out of being a jerk, he saved me to a life of purpose where I get to speak life. So God doesn't just save you out of the bad stuff. He has something good for you on the other side, a life of purpose and meaning. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses t- verse 10, this is another verse that many of you have heard before. After this long talk, nine verses, Paul talks about all the saving and transforming work that God does in you. And he closes with this. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created us, or probably the better, I think a better translation there is, on, is honestly, God recreated us. Because on, when I became a Christian, for I, maybe I didn't feel it right away, but when I look at who I am now, to who I used to be, I'm a new man. And I'm glad that other guy is long gone, because he wasn't entirely pleasant. Sometimes he shows up, and my wife gets to see that mo- more than anybody else, and I'm sorry for that. But, but mostly... I'm a new person, a new creation. God has recreated me to do good in this world, to be a force for good in this world. And God wants to do the same for you. The Holy Spirit not only transforms your mind to be able to see good and to see evil, to know which way to go and which ways to avoid, but God also gives you a heart and a desire and a gifting to walk out into this world and do good works. And so we are God's handiwork. Some, uh, some translations say God's workmanship or, or his work of art. God did a lot of work on many of us in this room, chipping away the junk so that the, the good stuff could, sh- could shine through. Uh, when I was, man, I hate to say it, was 11 years ago, I went to Italy on a little tour, and we got to see a lot of Christian artifacts and stuff, and, and we saw some stuff by Michelangelo. which Did you know that's not a Ninja Turtle originally? That was actually an artist back in the day, you know, for a kid who grew up in the 90s, I was shocked to learn that. And so, we went, and and what we see is, there was we went to this museum in Florence, Italy, and it's kind of funny because you, you're just walking around, and it's kind of tight quarters, and then you walk around, and you turn, and there's this hallway, and at the end of the hallway is the Statue of David, which I'd only seen in textbooks. And you, you lose the scale of something like that. I mean, this thing's probably 12 or 15 feet tall. It's pristinely glowing white. It's beautiful. It's, I mean... It's amazing how a statue carved out of marble can be that smooth on the skin and have such real-looking texture. I mean, just being there, it's so amazing, right? And, but lining the hallway all the way down to the statue of David were unfinished works of Michelangelo. And they were almost creepy because it looked like somebody trying to climb out of rock because it was half done, and you had these pictures, these images of people who were coming out of the rock, and Michelangelo always said, I look at the rock, and I just free what's in there, and that's what God has been doing to us. He is chipping away at the bad, the power of the Holy Spirit day by day. He's chipping off the junk and the evil that does not need to be there, so that we can be free of that prison and walk as fully human beings, fully the people that God intended us to be, and God intended you and I to be people who walk this earth doing good works. And we're not going to do that on our own. It only comes through the power of Christ in us and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us each and every day. So let me close. Actually, no, I don't want to close just yet. I got time. We got time. Like I said, I rewrote this this morning, so bear with me. Um, I think before we can live a life of goodness, there's some things that have to happen. Um, first off is we need to know what goodness really is. We need to start transforming or leaning into the transformation that God is wanting to do in us. I think that means we have to grow in our knowledge of God and his word because God is our perfect standard. And so sometimes I look at something and it seems like a terrible idea or there's, there's verses in scripture. Let me say it this way. There's verses in scripture that tell me things are a sin that I don't want to be sin. You know what I mean? Like there's things that the Bible forbids that I really want to do and I don't like scripture in those places because there's things that would be more fun in my life if I could do that thing that God said was bad. I need to change. I don't need to edit the Bible. My brain and my heart needs to change. I need to come to a place where I trust God that he is right as the ultimate standard of good and that at times my eyes and my heart don't work right. And so I need to let God shape me as I lean into knowing more about him and knowing more about his word. And I think every single one of us, that is one of the main key ways that we get shaped and we get have our minds transformed is by leaning in and trusting the teaching of God in his word. And so you can get that through gatherings like this week in and week out. I try every week to come and have something valuable to teach. Um, you can do that through daily scripture reading. That's why I started the year off doing this New Testament in 90 days thing for a lot of us that are doing that. I'm a little behind. I got to catch up. Um, but even preachers get behind, by the way. Uh, so you understand, I want us to get more familiar with Scripture, and you'll get to those passages that you don't like, that rub you the wrong way, and, you, and that's just a place where you, maybe you don't just think, man, God's wrong, but maybe it's a place to step back and, think, and step back in humility and think, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my heart's wrong, and maybe I need to let God work in me in this area. And so we've got to be familiar with God's Word, because He's our standard of what is good and what is evil. and We've got to get to know that first and foremost. And so we've got to be people who pursue that kind of truth if we ever want to be people who can live that kind of truth. Now, let me close with uh, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, the apostle Peter, he ends, or ends one of his letters to Christians in this way, telling them to be careful and to lean on what is true. So this is the apostle Peter. Sometimes I say Paul instead of Peter, or Peter instead of Paul. Because for some reason, I don't know why I have trouble with that. I also did the stupid thing of naming my kids James and Jude so that I will forever yell at them the wrong name. So this is Peter talking about Paul's letters. Paul's letters, which we call Scripture, Romans, 1st 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, all of those. Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures, to their own destruction. Meaning, sometimes we will look at the Bible, and we will distort the truths in there to serve our own purposes, not seeing truth accurately. And so Peter says, Therefore, dear friends, since sometimes we take this good scripture, and even even that gets mixed up with evil. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawlessness and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. And so we've got to be on our guard, as for those of us who are believers, to, to understand that we don't always accurately decide what is good and what is evil, and we've got to keep bringing ourselves back to the real good, which is God himself, and we've got to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of God himself so that we can be people who truly do good and live out this fruit of the spirit of goodness so that people look at us and say, those people are good people, not because we're awesome, not because we've earned it, but because God has transformed us and left behind those horrible people that some of us used to be, and we can live as a new creation in Christ. So let's grow in our knowledge of Jesus, how he lived, how he acted, and how he loved other people. Let us constantly be coming back to his standard. And so as we take communion this morning, I want you to spend a few moments remembering the death of Jesus and let us remember that his death didn't just free us from sin. He freed us to a life of goodness and purpose, a life that mattered, and a life that would make a positive difference in our world. So, servers, would you please go prepare to serve as we pray this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your perfect goodness. As we come to this topic that's kind of difficult, because every one of us looks at the world and we make these moral judgments, help us to be humble enough to acknowledge that sometimes we're not right in those judgments. Help us to humbly acknowledge that there are days and moments and situations that we do not see accurately because of the hold that sin has on us. And when our hearts are going to be more gravitated to toward what is evil than what is good. And sometimes evil will have such a hold on us we will see things backwards at times. But help us through whatever means you would like to transform us so that we can see clearly what is good and what is evil. And we can understand that all that is good comes from you and all that is evil leads away from you. And you want to produce good in the world and you want to... Let let your church be a force of good in the world. Help us to be that in this world. Let us actually be people of good. Not just people who understand good and know good and and see what is evil, but people who actually do what is good. We want to be a force for good in the world. Good is not something we should uh, take lightly. Goodness is is an amazing thing that the Bible says, Only you, Father, are truly 100% all good. And for you to even allow us to say that we might be people who do good works, that is an honor. That we can be people who carry your work every day. We can be your hands and feet in this world. What an honor to carry your goodness forth into our lives. And so I pray that we don't take that lightly. I pray that we would diligently look toward your truth in Scripture so that we would allow our sight to be cleared, our ability to to judge clarified and, and sharpened so that we know where you want us to walk and where you want us to stay away. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your goodness, and thank you for your Son and your Holy Spirit that help us know the difference and walk a new life. We pray all this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.